Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's a Monday. Greetings from Budapest. I'm still in Europe, so things are a little bit out of whack. I'll, I hope I'm to get back to America tomorrow. Knows that hopefully I'll be back in America by Tuesday evening, and I'll try to get back into the swing of things to keep my usual schedule of doing uh, Yardside Podcast on Wednesdays and uh, Parsha Podcast by Fridays. But I'm still a little, a little bit discombobulated because we've been traveling uh, to one community after another. As I, uh, we went... You know, I'm on one of these, uh, leading one of these Jewish history trips, which is a lot of traveling, a lot of Jewish history, and my goodness, a lot of restaurants. Oy vey. Um, we spent Monday and Tuesday in Prague. Wednesday, we are in the road. We went to Nicholsburg in Eisenstadt, uh, famous Jewish center at once upon a time. And uh, then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we were in uh, Vienna. And then yesterday, Sunday, and today, we've been in uh, Budapest. Uh, we were in Vienna over Shabbos. Uh, today, as I said before, we went the last few days going around in Budapest. I'm obviously interested in the Jewish history aspect of this. Today we went to, as they take all tor- Jewish tourists, to the two large synagogues. Therein lies a tale, the uh, Dohani Shoal, the uh, Dohani Shoal, which is the gigantic um, neologue Shoal, like you'd say in America, a conservative synagogue. And then a block away or so, around the corner, is the Kaczynski Shul, Temple, as they call it, which is the Orthodox Shul. Uh, therein lies a tale, because um, Hungarian Jewry had a very interesting and vivid profile in the 1800s, when all this stuff hit. You know, when the modern era hit, one of the, things that ha- one of the ways that Jews responded to modernity was by trying to change Judaism to some degree or another, either through externals like a synagogue ritual and whatever, or through internals, through hashkafa uh, matters. And, uh, you know, changing principles of Judaism. Uh, the first guys were the ones who were looking for aesthetics and decorum. Uh, the second group were interested in changing the uh, 13 animamins, as we would say. Uh, the way the reform movement developed in Germany was pretty radical, and they went for changing the animamins. Uh, they came up with 13 anilomamins. And... Uh, this actually provoked a reaction in, among the reform, and they formed a conservative, which was like the right wing of the reform. In Hungary, it kind of developed along similar lines. The uh, uh, reform movement, shall we say, those who wanted changes in Judaism, those who saw the old ways as being no good. Uh, why did they see the old ways being no good? The 19th century was when modernity hit, and especially in places like Hungary, whole classes of Jews started to be, make money and get into the middle class and bourgeois the uh, aspect of uh, jewelry, and the bourgeois person is imitating the European middle class. They want a certain type of religious service, which would be heavy on the decorum and the aesthetics and the quiet and the dignity. And uh, that's in that way they saw the uh, better religious uh, um, feeling and maybe even behavior. Uh, that's what they claimed, anyway. Uh, but 
Uh, you know, obviously the Orthodox protested against that. They said, no, you don't change the old ways in order to attain that. You're down with Kavana. You do mitzvahs, you know, with Kavana. Uh, you're not going to be more aesthetically related to your religion than your grandparents. <laughs> you know, let's, let's cut the baloney right away. The, uh, and we all know, looking in retrospect, what the bourgeoisie movement really involved was, now I have a hector to drive on Shabbos to eat treif, to not keep things and, you know, uh, live a life of ease which robbed the movement of any kind of ideological, uh, you know, uh, what shall I say, uh, validity. But anyway, whatever happened, here in Hungary, where I am right now, I'm speaking to you from Budapest, uh, I gave a talk today, because we went to uh, several talks, we went to two big shoals, which represented the two opposites, uh, one was the big reform shoal, or it wasn't exactly reform, the way the movement developed in Hungary was that the right wing of the reform movement predominated over the left wing of the reform movement, if I can say it, and they were much more traditional, but they got an organ. So we went into this gigantic show, my goodness, today, you can see three or four thousand people, I kid you not, it's humongous, and uh, it's, I mean, it's very impressive in terms of the architecture, it is gigantic. And here in Hungary, and some of these other shows we see in Central Europe, you got, from and not, you got to understand, you don't simply have a lady section, by the way, in Hungary, the four movement had separate seating. He says, uh, they don't just have a ladies' uh, section, a balcony, high up there. They have a second balcony high above the first. So it's like three stories. And if you're a fancy woman, you can stand all the way to the top and look down like an opera house. It's unbelievable. As a matter of fact, matter of fact, this past Shabbos, we were in Vienna. I told you we were in Thursday, Friday, and Shabbos in Vienna. I think I did a podcast a little bit when the first day I was in Vienna last week. We had many experiences after that. I can't go into them all. But I want to take everybody to Shabbos to experience the Stadt Temple, which was built in 1826, and used to be considered by the Orthodox to be like a conservative temple, even though it's not the, the dominant is 100% according to the Din. Uh, in other words, it's a modern Orthodox show, as we would call it today. Uh, the only deviation of anything whatsoever is that they have the Bimba, kind of up front, they have the Bimba Bamsa, which was a huge shell on Machlukas in the 19th century. But there are many who say it's okay to have the Bimba front, especially if there's some room in between the Bimba and the um, and the Orn Kodesh. It's a Gansa business, but basically it's a from shul. And, uh, and the whole place is full of from people. And, you know, modern. And uh, the point I wanted to make was, I, I know the history of this shul. I mean, before, even before I came here, I, I gave a talk about it in the shul. It's called the Stadt Temple, the, the, the city... Uh, temple, temple was a, is a nice word they used. Doesn't mean reform temple. Temple was a nice word you used for a synagogue in, in the old days because synagogue had like a bad notion. Same way, if you know old American English, they wouldn't call somebody a Jew. Because they call you a Hebrew, like Bomer Hebrew congregation, you know that sort of thing. And uh, also Israelite, uh, they used to be a positive term in German language. Instead of calling somebody a Yuda, a Jew, which is like a, t- a put down term, you call somebody Israelite. It's a, it's a respectable term. So the shul in, in Vienna is the Israelitische uh, Kultusgemeinde uh, Stadt Temple, you know, the Israelite religious community's uh, temple. Even Sam's Ravel Hersher Synagogue was called the, uh, what was it, IRG, Israelitische Religionsgesellschaft, the Israelite Religion Organization. The Israelite was like a, a polite term. Make a long story short, they got a chazan and a choir, that kind of thing. And my goodness, it was some chazan, some choir, and... The layout is mamish like opera house. I mean, I knew this. So you come and it's like round. It has these uh, pillars like Greek. The people who started this show were not Reformed Jews exactly. 
they were reform A, not reform B. They're looking for aesthetics and decorum. And uh, they created a, a, a synagogue that they can invite their Gaisha friends to, you know what I mean? Like that. And I found it very interesting, the seating and the way the rabbi sits in this place and the president sits over here. And they have a chaz and a choir. And they're very musical. And the ladies' section, there's, there's like a, 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 a sec, you know, it's a balcony. And there's a balcony above the balcony, like all the way to the top. Like the high opera seats with the, you need the opera glasses to run the whole thing. My wife was there. All the way to the super top. And uh, that's a different experience. You know what I'm saying? That's just, just a different experience. Uh, you know, it's, it is an Orthodox shul. There's talking there, just like an Orthodox shul. Don't worry about it. Uh, and the choir was good, but oy, oy, oy. You know, there's a, a natural war between rabbis and chazanim. And always has been, and always will be. Because I always like to say, a dog is a dog and can't change being a dog. And a cat is a cat and can't change being a cat. A rabbi is going to be a rabbi and a chazan be chazan. The rabbi does not want the chazan to repeat the words. You're not, in the Shulchan Aruch, you're not supposed to repeat the words. When you've got a choir, baby, it's a repetition, you know. Sim shalom, sim shalom, sim shalom, sim shalom, 20 times before you get and over and over and over again. And, uh, and with a choir, you know, you're going to get that. I'm not talking about the choir repeating. That's, all, that's not so bad. But the chazan is going to repeat it. But it was a good chazan. It was a good chazan. And uh, it was just a different experience for my group. Because we come from Baltimore, Maryland, and we have some people even from out of town. You don't usually get to see it. And I can tell you right now, the women love it. That's why I took them there. The women love that sort of thing, because the women are on the short end of the stick. And a lot of times in Philip, it shouldn't be that way, you know, and hopefully they get a lot out of the davening. But a lot of shows don't quite work out that way. And uh, when you get over here, even people that are uh, usually don't like uh, the davening, the, the ladies, they were all transported. So that was worth it. And uh, as I say, therefore you get a second balcony and a balcony above the balcony. And here in, in Hungary, they got the thing, maybe even four balconies. I'm serious. The place was ginormous. It was the, the ceiling went up and up and up and up and up. It is really, really large. What's funny is, I wanted to give a talk to my group to explain the history behind the synagogue and the reform movement, the neologue movement over there, all the rest of it. You're not allowed to. Only a guide can do it. So I had to sit down and talk in muffled tones. <laughs> in the, uh, what do you call it, the headphones to my group. It's, it's like <laughs> you break into law, you know. It's a, <laughs> remember the old joke in America? Uh, the guy wants to get in on Kol Nidri night, and they won't let him be. So you don't, have, you don't have a ticket. Can't get in. And he said, I just want to tell my brother, his wife had a baby. And the guy said, well, okay, I'll let you in. But if I catch you davening, you're going to be in big trouble. <laughs> it's the same thing over here. You know, but God forbid a person should talk about Judaism within the temple. Oh, yeah, yeah. But uh, the neologue movement did develop in the 19th century in Hungary. had a lot of people behind it. And uh, there were some extreme reformers, but the movement was primarily dominated by people who said, we want to be traditional, and uh, on the other hand, we want change. But uh, at the end of the day, if you examine the neologue doctrine down to the you know, uh, fine print, they want to get rid of the yeshivas, Get rid of all the Rabbanim and replace everything with a JTS and JTS ra trained rabbis. And don't worry, you can leave the Jewish religion safely in our hands. Yeah, bull. <laughs> you, know, you know how long that would last. And so the result was that as this movement developed, and it developed a lot of roots in Hungary, it provoked a huge counter-movement from the from, from the Orthodox uh, of all sorts. And uh, without going into details, because I'm not giving a long lecture over here, just a few minutes, Take it from me, that in the first half of the 1800s, uh, there developed some pretty bitter 
uh, rivalries or uh, what should I say, machloikis between the from and the non from, or let's put it this way: the orthodox on the one hand and the neologues on the other, to be more exact. And every time the neologues said, "We just want one large Jewish community, and we want to improve it, uh, we want to keep the basic din and just fix up the externals, give it a facelift for the aesthetics and decorum." The firm said, no, you don't. You want to mamish change the, 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 the whole religion. And one of the best proofs was they put an organ. You know what I'm saying? Everyone is neolog shul said organ. If you go in today to this shul, I saw it myself. You can see the used pipes that are used uh, you know, to play an organ. Now, what's that all about? Now, in the 19th century, the neologs and the others try to make halachic arguments. What's wrong with having an organ? I'm, I'm serious about this. This will surprise you. What is wrong with having an organ? play music in the shul, provided it's a guy who's playing it. And, uh, you know, things like that. These are part of the bitter battles that were fought once upon a time. You and I live in America today. We are post this. We are past this. These issues obviously don't exist anymore. But they did once upon a time. And uh, there are a lot of shouts and chews in them, you know, back and forth. In Germany and Hungary particularly, mixed choirs or geisha choirs or, I don't know, this, that, and the other. But this place is really interesting because... Where does the rabbi speak from? It's almost like a church. Couldn't believe it. You know, you don't get up in the front like you do in most synagogues. You speak from in front of the Aron Kodesh. They have on the side a winding staircase, which is what you have in a Catholic church. Not that most of you have been to Catholic church recently, neither have I. But I know you can see from movies and places like that that, uh, you know, the, the preacher speaks like not from the front but on the side and goes, and in Church of England also. And up a winding staircase, and you look down, and I guess it must be good for the aesthetics or something like that. They had two of these things, one opposite the other in the middle. What I mean is, imagine a, a, a bimma, and, uh, you know, I said it wrong. Imagine the front with darn Kodesh, and, uh, you know, the, the, there's no bimma bamsa, of course. And uh, it's just all one big platform, everything up front. But then walk down about five or ten rows, and then go turn to the side and climb up the winding staircase, and that's where you give the speech. It's like weird. But they have balcony upon balcony. See, the reform and the conservative Hungary had separate seating. Well, what we would call, you know, uh, modern Orthodox, they, they, they called reform. The reason it was called reform was, number one, you had things like the organs. organs, And the other reason was, if you really scratch down on their hashkava, it really is based on 13 Anilo Mamids. You know, they didn't like to talk about it so much, and they had something of a funny sense about it, that maybe some of them believed in some of the 13 on imams and some of them didn't. It's like a weird situation, but you couldn't entrust Judaism over into their hands. But in the 1800s, especially the first day of the 1800s, there was a real push by these guys to get the Hungarian government, which was the Habsburg government, to back them, and the government did back them because it was the desire of the Central European governments like the Austro-Hungarian Empire to do the following, to modernize the Jews but not too much. They didn't want radical reforms because they thought that would be accompanied by political reforms. But they wanted modernization mm-hmm. so the Jews would fit in better in the Geisha society. So basically, they would be totally fine with the Samson Ravel Hirsch. I'm serious. But what they instead got was this neolog business, and uh, it provoked a huge reaction among the Frum, and matters reached their head in the 1860s. I don't know if I ever spoke about this before. Matters reached their head in the 1860s when Hungary became sort of independent. Uh, a unit within the empire became its own country. And the Hungarian government said, we are willing to recognize the Jewish religion. Will you guys get your act together and tell us what exactly the Jewish religion is? And they called a national congress of all the Jewish communities 
So they should have representatives from the from the not from to thrash out and come up with an agreed upon program of what the Jewish religion is, and then the Hungarian government will support it. Uh, it was even the money involved. That, you know, in 1848 and 49, there was a Hungarian revolution against the Austrians, which the Austrians crushed. And uh, at that time, the Austrian government, headed by the brand new young emperor Franz Josef, the new emperor, he was on the throne for almost 70 years afterwards, said the Jews supported the rebels. Therefore, they're putting a tax of, I don't know, millions and millions of dollars on the Jewish community they have to raise as a knas, as a punishment. But after a year or two, Franz Josef started to mellow on the Jews. This is a part of a process in which he actually became friendly with the Jews. He changed from one side to the other. And he said that the money that I said will be the knas, which the money was already connected, I'll tell you what, I'll give it back to the Jewish community to use for chinuch. You guys decide what kind of chinuch you want. Can you imagine that? That just made the machlokas worse. Because they're from enough from arguing over money. Oh boy, you can imagine where that went. The result was that there was a Congress held. Elected representatives came from all over Hungary in 1868, I think, although it was rigged in favor of the reform. See, that's the problem. It wasn't really representative. It was rigged in favor of the reform because the government really, really, really favored the reform. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, did I ever tell this over? I can't remember how I spoke about this. We passed the, this statue recently of Baron Itvash, yeah, pronounced in Hungarian, Itvash, who was the great uh, political uh, leader who favored civil rights for the Jews, but he also favored the reform, what he regarded as, what he regarded as a guy, as the moderate reform of the Jewish religion. And he was pushing in favor of the anti-frub, and the frum had to show up, including the Kassab, so for Marmashek, all the big rabbanim and representatives over there. And uh, how are you going to find a common program between these two sides that disagree so, so bitterly? All I can tell you is, on the opening day, <laughs> in order to put things on the right foot, I remember this story. Rabbi Yermia Lev of Uhai, he was a big Oberlander rabbi, Talmud Chassam Sover, a big anti-Chassid too. <laughs> he picked up the Reform Sitter. One of these former rabbis had written the Sitter, and he basically spit on it and trampled on it. So the Congress was off to a peaceful start, you know. And all hell broke loose. And from then on, it was bitter, bitter, bitter. By the time, I'm going to spare all the, uh, the details because I don't have time. I'm driving around now in, in Budapest. Let me simply say, by the time it was over, it, it, it was impossible to get a, a common platform uh, for all Jews, and the Frum insisted, and the government finally gave in against its will, the Hungarian government, that the uh, breach between the Frum and the not Frum, or be more exact, between the Orthodox and the Neologs, is unbridgeable. It's a gigantic gap. It's like two religions. Just like you can't have Catholic and Protestant, you can't have, uh, you know, Catholic and Protestant in one. You can't have the Orthodox and non-Orthodox in one. And the result was that there was a big divorce. The government recognized two separate religions, the Jewish religion and the Orthodox Jewish religion. You hear what I said? The Jewish religion and the second religion is called the Orthodox Jewish religion. And there's two of everything, two JCCs, two schools, two cemeteries, you know, two hospitals, the whole nine yards. And when you go in Hungary, we saw today... Uh, the gigantic Neolog synagogue, and it's big, uh, and fancy schmancy, you know, on the inside. That's one. But around the corner, the Orthodox built one to compete with them, also gigundo, but not the same size quite, but it's pretty big, and this was the Frumshul, Kaczynski Street. This was the Frumshul, and one has nothing to do with the other. You understand, when you're in, meaning no, no ties. If you were in Hungary, you had a friend 
who who was uh, I mean I remember these stories. If you had a friend who was having, let's say, for example, a wedding or a bar mitzvah, and, uh, let's say a uh, ofrof uh, or a bar mitzvah and another shul, and you know you're from the Orthodox shul and they're having it in the in the uh, Dohani shul in the Neolog shul, you would not step. It's a it's a hard well, yeah, you would never step foot in there. You end up doing like Rabbi Newberger used to do with the Catholic politicians. You stay outside the church and wish, wish them well when they come out. You know, uh, that's how strongly they felt about it. But I want to tell you something. There was a third shul we visited. Not only the Neolog shul, and not only the Orthodox shul, but there's one called the status quo, status quo, status quo shul. And these were the Jews who said, we want to be in the middle. We don't want to break away from the general community, but we don't want to, uh, you know, stop being Orthodox either. And both sides condemned Well, that's not true. Both sides didn't condemn them. The neologues welcomed them with open arms. They said, see, within the larger community, we can have from shows. And they were 100% from. 100% from. On the other hand, all the Rabbanim, all the important Rabbanim said, if you don't join the Orthodox and secede, like Hirsch, you know, secede from the, from the uh, general community and form your own separate community, you're over on your Hargwa Yavar. You know, you, you did a terrible sin. And a from Jew... Orthodox Jew would never step foot in a status quo congregation, even though everybody there was Shomer Shabbos, Shomer Tarmitzes, and believe in all the Anim Mavins. In fact, I know, I mentioned this in my group today, I know Shochtim, that because of Parnosa reasons, they worked for the status quo, but they wouldn't eat from their own Shechita. Even though their Shechita was kosher. But as Orthodox Jews, they know one thing you're not supposed to do is have anything to do with the, uh, with, with, with the status quo congregation, even though it's 100% okay, and you wouldn't step foot in there either. So Hungarian Jew was, the, was characterized by extremely deep divisions. It's, it's interesting, but, um, but it's, uh, you know, it's kind of sad also. But you come over here, you see each group developed its uh, institution in a very uh, exceptional way. If you went to Budapest 100 years ago, at the time of Kabul Reich, who was a big uh, Orthodox rabbi here, they had the Torah MS, they had large, uh, you know, like we would say today, a day school for boys and girls. And 100% Orthodox, everything within the context of the Orthodox community, raised only by Orthodox money. The Neolox have nothing to do with it. Uh, and Hungary was riven, you know, Hungarian Jew was riven by this uh, division, which exists to the present day. Our guide, uh, she told she's a Neolog, you know, and she grew up in Hungary and in in, 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 went to the Neolog school. Apparently it's called the Anne Frank School or something like that. And uh, that was in the communist times. So it's a noble thing what she did to try to hold in a little Yiddishkeit. But from she ain't. <laughs> from she ain't. And uh, that's how it goes. You know what I'm saying? That, you know, that, that, that's how it goes. So it, it makes visiting Hungary uh, very interesting on one hand, but very thought-provoking, I think, on the other because of the extreme divisions. We in America generally have a little bit of that, but not to the same degree. In America, we don't have an official divorce between the from and the non-from community. Instead, what you have is, you know, it's like the cousin who lives in town and you never see. And you all have some non-from cousin. Uh, a lot of people have this. And you don't really see them. And when you see them once in a while, it's a fake a smile. And it's not a real intimate relationship. So de facto, you're divorced. But officially, you're all one. That's why the federations can have signed, we are one. And from the point of view of a community of faith, you know, for the Hitler's sort of view, we are one. But other than that, it's really, we're two. You know, we're, we're two. And in this regard, we live our lives in America, the from Jews, uh, alongside the non-from Jews, not together with them. Uh, the non-from hate this. They hated it in Hungary, by the way. They kept 
trying to all through the uh, decades after this happened to get the law changed and to get it the way they went. But the firm were too strong and constantly prevented that. Uh, but of course, as we all know, uh, at this point, I could do the easy way and say, listen, Hitler came along in the 1940s and killed everybody. It didn't matter him when he was and or, or Neolog. And that is true. No question about that. But it's, that's too trite. That's for a rabbi to give him some kind of dumb speech. It's uh, too simplistic, reductionist. In reality, uh, the, the divorce, as I said before, between the two groups does characterize a fundamental feature of the modern era. How do you, let me put it this way, I'll leave you, the listeners, with this question. How do you maintain an organized or general community of all the Jews living in your city when there's such radical difference of hashkafa between the two groups and one cannot talk the language of the other? That is sad, but it is, I believe, food for thought. And with that, I bid you goodbye as we continue in our tour here of Budapest. I say, I hope, pretty soon to... Uh, to be back in America. We just came back from a visit to the Danube where they show you all the shoes, you know, the, the certain, probably some of you know what I'm talking about. Somebody made like a monument of a bunch of shoes nailed to the, just to the Danube River because the Hungarian mumsers shot all these Jews who didn't fight back. I'm sorry to say, they did not fight back. Shot all these, I'm talking about the Hungarian fascists. Uh, shot all these Jews and threw the bodies in the river. In fact, sometimes they tied them together, shot one, and the others fell in the river and dragged the others with them. And they didn't resist. And, and when you stand there, you see you're one block away from Parliament. It's like they're shooting Jews, in, in, like fish in a barrel, and throwing them in the river, a block away from the U.S. Congress. And right behind you are fancy luxury apartments. Obviously, all the rich Hungarians are looking out the window in late 44, early 45, and they're seen just shooting people in the head, men, women, children, and not doing a doggone thing about it. Uh, naturally, the Hungarians feel uncovered about the Holocaust. Big deal. I'll uh, tell you more later if I have a chance. Meanwhile, regards or greetings from Budapest. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.